0: Well, hey there. How was your month? I'm happy to be back. And before we jump into today's episode, I have two things to share with you, and you will find links for both in today's episode notes. So first, I'm hosting Amanda Foss of A Classical Woman and The Wonder Years Podcast for a two-part webinar about the habit of attention. Do you ever feel like your brain is always running in a dozen directions? Have you found that the most difficult part of completing a Charlotte Mason short lesson is that you struggle to stay on task for 20 minutes straight? Well, if you do, just know that we are living in a world characterized by distraction, and no one is above the disordering effect that this can have on our lives. So come join us for Awakening the Soul, a two-part webinar wherein Amanda will guide us through the writings of those like Charlotte Mason, St. Basil the Great, and many others from the classical tradition. And then we'll follow it up the next week with a and a answering your questions with Amanda and myself. And yes, you will have access to replays if you can't make the two calls live, so go ahead and check the episode notes to learn more. Second, the Common House Fall Course, Virtues and Vices, begins tomorrow. It's a self paced course, just like all the other ones, but there will be work, contemplation, and discussions for those who would like to go a little bit deeper while learning with others. And we would love to have you join. So, what I want you to do now is sit back and let your mind go to Christmas time. Yes, I am aware that it is November 2nd. But please enjoy this very merry, happy Christmas gift guide episode, which is brought to you today by the Common House members, as it was originally one of their bonus minisodes. Their support of the Commonplace allows me to continue to bring more mother teachers through the classical wardrobe. If you'd like to join them to help this work and to benefit from all of the continued mother's education in Common House, you can join us at commonhouse.mn.co. And now I give you my version of a gift guide. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. Welcome to your Common House Charlotte Mason gift guide. I bet you thought I'd never be making a gift guide, but wait, where is the list of gifts? It's not that kind of gift guide, guys. You know what happened? I found a parents' review article about children's toys, and if that isn't my version of a gift guide, I don't know what is. You will find that link to that article in today's post, and you can read along with me, or you can sit back with a cup of coffee and enjoy my breaking it down for you. Because yes, I do know that it is not even November, but I have Christmas on the brain. I have this yearly calendar alert that rings on October 15th to remind me that I need to begin collecting some things or else, well, it'll all just sneak up on me and I won't have time to do it pleasantly, and doing it pleasantly is important. I also had a friend text me the other night to talk Christmas traditions and the number of gifts per kid, and so I'm guessing that other moms' internal clocks are beginning to ring about the forthcoming season. And while some feel all joy and light, others feel very overwhelmed at the decisions about presents. If you've recently come through the wardrobe, you may already feel like the toys you used to buy were the wrong types, and now everything you buy must be an heirloom carved by a dwarf from a tree in Narnia. These are the internet things that make me grumpy, because it's easy to fall into ditches of perceived perfect materials which, depending on your life circumstances, might be unattainable or just a burden on the heart. And humanizing things should be neither unattainable nor a burden. But this is why, of course, we need principles and not a buy this guide. But note now, a gift guide can be helpful to get a good idea for your nephew. I'm not upset at the suggestions, just the implicitly created particular expectation put forth as the basic standard. So now that I've gotten that all the way, let's begin. Today, we're going to work through the principles presented in the Parents Review article written by Mrs. C. Hatchell, entitled, Our Children's Play, Their Toys and Books. She begins by defending play in a child's life by saying, "...it's the earliest stage of play that is the agency that gives him health, for play is an absolute necessity to his physical life, which depends greatly on the exercise he takes and which is the more beneficial, the more there is added to the stimulus of a pleasurable motive." So, already we see three important things about play, and therefore toys. Number one, play is the agency that gives children health and is an absolute necessity. Number two, not all play is equal. And number three, play should have a pleasurable motive. Play is the child's work, you know. It's an unconscious way our children learn certain moral truths, it's how they embody the virtues of stories, and it's how they train and develop a myriad of skills. You might sit and tell your children the importance of being kind and sharing with others, but they'll learn the meaning of these truths much faster in a game, where they must consider other children's feelings. They have to work with one another, or else they risk losing out on play. I've watched my kids pivot and change in relational matters during play with other kids that they would never do just based on my instruction. And Mrs. Hatchell continues on to an important distinction about the types of play. There's the systematized play with instruction and parental or teacher involvement, Then there's the spontaneous play. Spontaneous play is almost magical. Have you ever watched your child completely lost in play, entirely absorbed in the world of the game? There's a complete abandonment of self-awareness and it is a precious moment. Don't move too quickly or you might break the spell. You, mother, teacher, might intrude on holy ground and ruin the whole thing. This sort of play reveals the mind of the child. It gives us tiny glimpses into the dawning powers of their inner world. There have been so many times when I've studied my children in one of these moments and realized I was completely wrong about their motives, understanding, or hopes in a real-life moment. Honestly, watching my children play like this has given me clear, more charitable eyes to see how they understand and move in the world. This sort of play, which all children do, although some may need to be completely alone to feel comfortable in being so vulnerable, it shows us the way our children inhabit their environments, and it's your first clue for gift buying this upcoming Christmas season. Are the thought pictures played out by your children worthy of their souls? I'm not kidding. When your children play, what tone do they use? What activities do they mimic? How do they embody ideas? Who are they imitating? What do they chase? Take note, because you will see these things in spontaneous play, and ask yourself, how can I give them the high ideals to stimulate all that is noble and best? Because it's from there that you actually make your gift guide. It's interesting to me that in 1906, Mrs. Hatchell notes how important toys are in a child's life. Maybe it's just me. But I can easily assume every child was kind of a Five Little Peppers child with a stick for a toy. And mind you, they were so grateful for that stick. But it seems like parents have known that toys can aid in the imagination and formation of the heart since about 1906. But even then, at the turn of the 20th century, Mrs. Hatchell makes a warning. She wrote, It is also said that the continually increasing wealth and perfection of toys also serve to produce dullness in children, or else destructiveness as the only form of activity left to them in relation to these two perfect toys. Let that one sink in. She's not writing about light-up, noise-making, colorful toys. It's 1906. She's referring to toys we might jump at on Etsy. Handmade dolls with hand-sewn pink and white dresses made with only natural materials. Something probably called an heirloom these days. Her point, you might be wondering, that perfect toys like the shop doll dull the imagination because of their finiteness. What children actually want and need is the infiniteness of things they make their toys. She says that the wealth of an imagination and the wealth of love from a child is poured out upon the really meager and unpromising objects that children take and turn into things, like dolls, like horses, or a dog. This is why, at my house, one of my children has a treasure box filled with the most random odds and ends from around the house. There's the paperclip, twine, stick thing, affectionately called his fire shooter for bad guys, that rarely leaves his pocket. There's the police badge he made for himself with a piece of cardboard. I believe he has three or four rocket-related creations from toilet paper rolls. And please do not forget the numerous special rocks that all demand your attention for a very specific point of beauty. His heart belongs to these humble creations. He sees the world alive with the grandeur of God, all things asking to be used to make something beautiful and good. He's also five, so he doesn't articulate it like this, but this is how he moves in the world. He's delighted by things others would ignore and delighted by them for years not just a few days after Christmas. I wanna note, I also have a child who is easily mesmerized by perfectly pretty things. You'll find both in most houses. But we all know the dangers of the perfect toys in killing the imagination, ending the handiwork of repairs and maintenance and destroying contentment. If you doubt me, ask what Instagram does to the women you know, or to you. A quick scroll of perfect toys placed in perfect house windows can produce a dullness in us too. So if we want spontaneous play, knowing it is of the greatest importance in our children's health of mind, body, and spirit, and if we want to create inner worlds of what is noble, what is the working principle for toy buying? Look for the suggestive, not the finite. The finite toy does the work for the child. Mrs. Hatchell writes of a Christmas craze toy, like everyone had to have one, where children would wind a dredger and then sit and watch small buckets fill themselves with sand and patiently pour out again. All they did was see how the wheels went round. And I bet it was made of wood, and the sand came from the coastline of a Jane Austen novel. But the problem was its finiteness. Mrs. Hatchell would say that a neon yellow, gasp, blanket was a better toy for the child because it's a cape, a tent, a treehouse, a sandbox, a sleeping bag, a tortilla, a tablecloth, a baby bed, and a parachute. I hope I'm pushing a little bit on the aesthetic life of Charlotte Mason gift guides, but also that we're realizing what a child actually needs. Mrs. Hatchell even makes the point that we parents are concerned that children have these great desires for these perfect, very lovely toys, when in reality, they're pretty absorbed in the world around them. If they have a healthy home atmosphere and environment, they like to be in it. They like to explore it. They are still encounterers, as I call them. They're still full of wonder and awe for the world and things God has made. This is why my children go to the woods and they pick up leaves and rocks and sticks and they call them treasure. They're still oriented to the beauty around them in a way that often we adults have lost. So when thinking about toys before running to the perfect gift guide, consider what are the suggestive toys that would allow my children freedom to create and to explore. Now back to Mrs. Hatchell. What's a suggestive toy in her mind? It allows for the child's ingenuity or imagination to work. And her example is a toy crane which the child has to wind up and unwind in order to make it work. The little boy could fasten things to it and try to raise them, which of course caused great anxiety because he didn't know if it would make it to the top. Often, she said, it didn't, which gave all sorts of lessons in perseverance and patience, but oh the satisfaction in getting that toy to work because it required effort and it required his mind and possibly his heart. And since it depended on the child to make it work, the child learned a great deal about how cranes work. And that sparked an interest in leverage. And before too long, Mrs. Hatchell found her child creating horse and carts to wheel little bricks up and down cardboard hills he had made. And that's imagination in action in play. Now she does do us a favor and actually gives us a gift list and I'm gonna run through it now. She says, Clay modeling supplies, sand trays, a heap of sand in the corner of the yard. Things to dig in the heap of sand. A box of sticks, a box of small shells, a box of well-known farms or gardens so the child can make copies of those in that heap of sand. An empty dollhouse, preferably made from an old box or suitcase instead of a store-bought one. Supplies to make furniture like cork cardboard sewing materials needlework supplies patterns for doll clothes or an empty trunk to be filled by the child's creation not the kind you buy at the store hobby things hobbies being natural history botany stamp collecting or anything that forms a pursuit and pleasure outside of the daily work please at this point let your children know i wish them a very happy christmas of heaps of sand (laughs) but then she moves on to books and what would we have done if she had not included books Here she recommends Beatrix Potter, of course, Sir Walter Scott, Robinson Crusoe, Kingsley's Heroes, Water Babies, Westward Ho, Tanglewood Tales, Anderson's Fairy Tales, Lamb's Tales of Shakespeare, Stories of Greece, Edward Stepp, Theodore Wood, and special Sunday books. Does this not sound like your supply list for your school year? And of course, she makes a note that you do not just want to give a child pretty books, those that are pretty in form, but those with a distinct flavor that they will reread again and again. She also recommends giving a child their own shelf where they can put a few special books that they'll read over and over again. But do not give them a children's library. She's very wary of the library back in 1906 because she says, be wary, mothers, bad taste, grown in children will make it so it's impossible for them to be able to appreciate Dickens, Thackeray, and the like. So, I understand, in this brief little mini-sode today, that this was not the open-and-click gift guide for which you hoped or thought may be coming. However, aren't your principles so much more freeing? Let's do a quick recap. Number one, play is an absolute necessity for children. Number two, not all play is equal. Number three, play reveals the inner world of your child, and you need to take note to know what needs need to be met to feed their souls Four, spontaneous play is magic do not interrupt it number five find suggestive not finite toys and number six enjoy your heaps of sand this year a very merry happiest christmas tide planning to you and yours if you have any suggestions for suggestive toys anything that your children have amazed you with as they've played in your home please drop them below And hopefully this sets us all on the path to enjoy thinking of ideas in terms of the individual children in our home, the things we think they need to feed or feast on to bring life to their souls and to enlarge and deepen the soil there. And of course, as always here at All Things Common, Commonplace, Common House, Common Mom, hopefully this gives you an anchor as you ride the sea of the very perfect, very beautiful gift guides coming your way this holiday season.